brother. Um, Austin's one of those guys, man, who doesn't say a word, but's involved in everything. Um, and so I think just sometimes we just need to pray together. Because the truth is, it's, you know, the good and the bad come together too, don't they? Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't tee them up different times so we can get prepared for it. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was look through Mark chapter 1. So we're just going to spend the next, I think it's almost five weeks, just Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter, chapter 1. And the reason, the reason I think this is really important for us, one, Mark is a great book. It's like Rambo gospel. It's just straight into action. So it's action, 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 then done. And then you can go and read about a longer account. You know, like Luke's like, let me just take you back to Adam and explain the context in which we find Jesus. Mark is like, let's just get into the baptism and get on with all the good parts. Um, the thing is, with Mark is that there's this incredible cultural geopolitical upheaval that's about to take place as a result of the entrance of Jesus. Um, and I feel for us in our context, there is a large profound amount of upheaval. And so the term that is often used is this idea of liminality. Um, when you walk between rooms, so if you walk from this room to the hall, at some place it stops being this room and starts being that hall. And that often takes place in the doorway, which is why it's called the limit. So you walk under the limit, and if you stood there, you are not quite in the hall, and you're not quite in the small room. You're in this space between. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is yeah. this is what we're talking about today. Um, and the term comes from a guy, and I'm not going to get his name right because uh, it's got a van in it. Um, Arnold Van Gennep in 1909 was a folklorist, and he came up with the first time uh, he wrote in a book called Rites of Passage this idea of liminality, and it's the space, the phase between social movements. Okay. But it's also true for arts, politically, geopolitically. There is this place where we transition from one season to the next. Why, why, why aren't we all still listening to classical music? Because at some stage there was a transition to another form of music and then to another form of music and then to another form of music. And what happened in that time was there was upheaval, there was unrest, there was an unsettling. It's not quite the old, but it also isn't the new. And so we find ourselves in these liminal seasons where we're moving from one cultural, social, artistic expression to a new cultural, social, artistic expression, and there's tension. We're between spaces. And Mark, captures a lot of this. So at the start of this book, it says, in the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of the one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the, for the Lord, make straight his paths. Classic Mark style. And so John came. 
There's the context. Here it is. John came baptizing in the desert, in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This, at this very moment, is already a profound cultural change to the ecosystem of the temple worship. Straight away, John baptizing in the wilderness a, a repentance of sin is very different to what Jews are used to. You get baptized when you go from being a non-Jew to a Jew. Oh, you now follow Yahweh, we'll baptize you because you're a Jew now. John comes and says, no, I will baptize you as a repentance of your sin is a big change. You feel much more comfortable going under, going, oh, I was not a Jew, now I'm a Jew. Hooray. John's coming saying, no, you've done a lot wrong. You need to confess your sin. That's a slap to the ego, isn't it? John is re-engineering baptism as a preparation for who? For Jesus. And so, at this very, very, very start of this, we get this profound change to a really common practice amongst the Jews. Baptism, they all know what it is, but it's a new baptism. It's a different baptism. Not only that, John is saying this is a precursor to a much more important baptism. At the end of this uh, verse 8, it says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So already Mark is shaping this new liminal movement. It hasn't caught on yet. In fairness, in this passage, he's wearing clothing made of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist. He's eating locusts and honey. Doesn't look like the most stable of characters. <laughs> But he is the one who is heralding this new cultural upheaval. And so this upheaval will start to unfold and it starts with the idea of baptism. Now obviously, um, this is harking back to Isaiah. Uh, this is also a subtext in here of Malachi. And I mean, the last time that we've had a word from the Lord for our people of Israel is almost 400 years ago. It's been 400 years since Malachi was written. And so you have a stabilized temple structure. You have a stabilized synagogue and leadership. Things have kind of settled into play. And so when Mark is written, there's a profound amount of unheaval, upheaval that's about to unfold. And I, I can't help but feel that the seasons that we've walked through from 2019 through to now is a significant season of transition. Do we work the same way that we used to work? We don't, do we? We're on Zoom. I know the Lloyd misses it. He used to be able to get on a plane and fly to Germany. Now they're like, we'll just zoom him in. It's not nearly as fun. 
things are different, aren't they? People are working remotely. We're seeing the stresses of supply chain issues. Potentially, and this is not doom and gloom, but potentially there's, there's the framework and the infrastructure for a new superpower. If you go back through the context of history, where we are talking in, um, in Mark, who's, who's the superpower? It's Romans. When, when, when was the last time in the news we were like, man, Rome's moving again. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen what's going on in Athens right now, but I think we need to be concerned. Like, we haven't said that for a while. At some stage, uh, England becomes the dominant superpower and is colonizing all over the world. And at some stage, the US becomes the superpower. Is that we find ourselves in another season where maybe that is about to shift again. And that has significant implications. But this is not an anxiety-inducing message, right? <laughs> you don't get that way when you walk through a doorway. Because you're aware you're just transitioning from a room to another room. Is that what, ha- what we have in Mark and what we'll unpack over the next five weeks is an eternal unchanging truth. The very thing that anchors our soul, if hope is an anchor for our soul, then what we need is an internal unchanging truth that allows us to navigate seasons of liminality, which is why you can have a dude dressed in camel's hair with a leather band around his waist eating locusts saying, prepare the way for the Lord, I'll baptize you with water, but another is going to come with a much more powerful message who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and everyone can go, we've been waiting for it since Isaiah. Let's do this thing. Is that I think there's an incredible opportunity as a community of believers is that in these liminal seasons that we find ourselves in to be the non-anxious presence. And I'm ripping that off directly from Mark Sayers, um, who's the author who wrote the non-anxious presence. But... You can walk with confidence because you know that your faith is tied to who? The guy that we've been taking communion with for since he passed away 2,000 years ago. We do this for Jesus. We make following Jesus the center of what we do, which is why we get here on Sunday and we make Jesus the priority for the message. What's the priority for the message for John? It's Jesus. The message isn't about John and what he's wearing. In fact, all of that is, for him, I, I, I just have to be clothed. So what's ever, you know, available is what I'm going to put on. And I need nourishment. So whatever's available is what I'm going to eat. But I need you to know that I am preparing for the way for someone else. In fact, I'm so passionate about this. After me, there will come someone more powerful than I the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
That's John's message. As you read on in this book, you, you know that Jesus is enamored by John. John the Baptist is one of Jesus' favorite persons, but John is only about Jesus. John could not care less about himself, which is why we get this kind of camel hair leather locust scenario. Because he realizes he is heralding somebody much more powerful than him. And so I, I wanted to walk through this book because what you get is this profound upheaval of plans and institutions and infrastructures. But what sits underneath it is a, is a quiet assuredness that Jesus wins in the end. You, you go, we go, John heralding the baptism of Jesus, and then immediately after this, next week, we get the baptism of Jesus. And then immediately after that, we get the calling of the first disciples, right? This is a world-changing religious institution that gets set up immediately after the baptism of Jesus. This, this alters humanity as we know it. And then after that, he drives out an evil spirit, so there's a demonstration of the miraculous. And then after that, he heals many. And then after that, he prays in a solitary place. And then after that, he goes back to healing again. Is that we get this groundswell movement for a new way of life, a new hope, a new authority that doesn't feel anxious. And so I, I, I was sitting down and, you know, like you, you pray in January over the series and you try and formulate a plan of where we're going to go. And what I wanted to do was have this season of rest through Sabbath. And we're not there yet. Like, don't stop Sabbath. Sabbath is great. You should keep it going. Because it's going to help us with a season of transition. Because we, we, we put, put up the statements on the wall, right, so we can remind ourselves every week of it, is that we want to live the love of Jesus. And sometimes that means changing, and that means growing, and that means sacrificing. If we're going to make Sunday rejuvenating, then it means that maybe some of the infrastructures that we have in place for a Sunday need to change because they're attached to cultural practices and not Christ-centric practices. And so if we're going to get back to making Jesus the center of everything that we do, then maybe we, we have to just let go of some stuff. Because if we're going to try and discover that place of rejuvenating experiences on a Sunday, and by the way, don't move the mulch today because that is not a rejuvenating experience. <laughs> and if you, if you try and convince me afterwards that mulch moving is a rejuvenating experience, I'm going to anoint you with holy order and cast the demons out of you. Um, is that there's going to be change. But if we walk with the anchor of Christ, then we need not have any fear. 
I mean, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and his brother casting the net in the lake as fishermen. He says, come follow me. He doesn't sit down and say, guys, would you want to come in on the ground level with a planet-shaping religion? One that will completely revolutionize the face of the planet as we know. Now, I'm telling you this right now because I want you to come in on the ground level. I don't want you to be late to this, but I'm going to give you some special, special privileges. You get to eat at the VIP table, and there's only 12 seats at that VIP table. You are going to see some extraordinary things in just a few, few passages. I'm going to do some David Copperfield level <laughs> miraculous signs. And you're going to be like, wow, I'm glad. I he doesn't do that, does he? She says, come and follow me. There's an extraordinary trust. There's an extraordinary peace that Jesus brings to a place in Mark that is suffering a season of liminality. Rome doesn't stay the superpower forever. Christians become persecuted periodically and then persecuted systematically and then persecuted relentlessly and then it becomes the national religion because someone saw a sign on a Milvian bridge and then suddenly declares the Cairo to be the religion of Rome as constant. So there's like change, chop change, different, we're hot on what's going on. They're a subsect of the Jewish religion. No, they're not. They're their own thing. What's going on? And all the while, the shalom of Christ is present on the believers who are able to navigate these seasons. And I think there's... Uh, because we always get this, there's, there's, a, there's a restlessness to what we experience. There's a, there's a restlessness through a season of liminality because we're like, we don't, we, we don't know what the tomorrow looks like. And you find yourself in these labor pains culturally and geopolitically where you're like, well, we're not there anymore and we're not here yet, so where are we? And you can get anxious. And so we have a presence of mind to say, no, we're still anchored to Jesus. And no matter what the season, there is a relevance of the good news of Jesus. I mean, if you think about uh, the development of the idea of Sabbath and contemplative spirituality. We would not have talked about that 30 years ago. The same way that we talk about it now and see how um, millennials and down can rally to Sabbath. Like I'm Gen X, I'm in. 
okay? I'm like, okay, yeah, this is nice and I, I, I like the Fridays. But when I talk to like Dan or Luke, like they're in it. Do you know, like they're, oh, have you read this book or that book? I mean, they're, they're like all about the Sabbath. This is like an ancient practice that younger folks are mad for because their souls are screaming out for it. Is that you're under 24-7 digital um, occupation. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but your soul is screaming for silence and rest and a, and a, and a detachment from that. Is that we would not have thought about this as a, as a major talking point when we didn't have Sunday trading because we just lived it. <laughs> we were like, yeah, we're just home. We don't go out shopping on a Sunday. There's always a relevance though for Jesus. Regardless of the season or the transition or the geopolitical status of whatever the superpower might be, Christ is still king. And that's where I think we go. So, so next week when we look at Mark 1 again, that conversation of even through seasons of upheaval and change and transition, we can find our grounding in Christ. And one of the beautiful things that happens through those seasons of liminality are incredible creative explosions. So you find uh, Rembrandt in a season of liminality. You find Beethoven in a season of liminality. This is where you get the most incredible outworkings of creativity as new expressions of an eternal truth. And that's what we get at the very start of Mark. As John comes in and does something ever so slight, but ever so significant, he says, we're not baptizing you to Jewishness. We're baptizing you as a repentance of your sin. And someone who I'm not worthy to untie the shoes of is going to come and baptize you into the Holy Spirit. And that is going to be a ground shocker. What an extraordinary moment. We get it right at the start of Mark. And so the confidence that I think we take away from this is that we know that following Jesus is the center of everything we do. And so there's always a good, a goodness in rallying people back to that, bringing them back into that non-anxious presence of the peacemaker who is internal. Let's pray. Ah, God. You are good. Whoa, whoa. Stop. <laughs> God, we love you. And we give you thanks that you are the peace bringer, Lord. That you are the sufficiency for all that we need. And where we might look to other places, Lord, that you are that uh, anchor for our soul. That you are enough. For us, Lord. Lord, fill us with that enoughness. Uh, Lord, that we might find delight in you. Remind us of the joys of Sabbath. Lord, that prepare us for seasons of liminality. That we can walk with a confident assurance, assuredness. Uh, that you win. 
that you are accomplishing what you need to accomplish, Lord, and uh, we're excited to be a part of that. Lord, help us champion that for this corner, for this community.